will cross the streams. Excuse me, Egon. You said crossing the streams was bad. Cross the Stream Podcast, Table of Contents for Episode 2. Kip and Kane I own coming back at you with Episode 2 on our podcast. Trying to detail and get testimonials of people taking risks uh, professionally, personally, and re- relaying that to us in their Cross the Stream moments. Today, we talked to Matt Espinosa, founder of the Salem Hoops Project, nonprofit organization in Salem, Oregon, dedicated to helping at-risk and impoverished youth have access to basketball training. Kane and I enjoy our interview with Matt, uh, have our reaction segment, and then a special segment today called the wild card round where we talk about a little climate change uh, and a pretty amazing article we both found in new york magazine that you'll want to listen to regardless of where you land on the subject the article itself is definitely something worth talking about and can get you talking at your next barbecue or family get together cross the streams episode two coming at you Cross the streams, back with you here with another great interview subject uh, of a good friend of mine in the coaching world and in life, somebody that I've known since he wasn't wearing a shirt at Pro Hoop Camp as a young 19-year-old. Or shoes. <laughs> or shoes. Counselor at our Pro Hoop Camp here at Willamette University, Matt Espinosa is with us. Coach Noza, how are you today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Coach. Uh, it's always awesome to have Noza's working Pro Hoop Camp. You're over a decade now. I think this is going to be 11. 11 years I working so. our summer camp where we got four or 500 kids coming through camp every summer. Coach Noza has been a staple for us, even though I still can't get him on our actual season staff because he's such a free agent. And Coach Noza, for those of you who don't know, a coach in high, high school basketball, assistant coach with a great coach, Dean Sanderson, over at McKay High School, the Royal Scots, where I happen to teach for seven years. So I, I'm loyal to the Scots cause. Uh, another thing about Noza and I we have in common, uh, he's actually one of the smartest people that married a girl from Billings. I'm from Billings, Montana. That's the best movie he's ever made in his life. So Co- Coach Noza, we, we are excited to have you on here today because you've got your hands in a lot of things. You've always been a guy willing to take risks and, and try different things in the coaching profession. Tell us specifically what you're up to now, aside from McKay, which obviously is a, is a program that you guys are working your tails off with. What is your other projects that you're doing currently? And we'll dive into more details about them as we get going. Well, the biggest one I got going is the Salem Hoops Project, and that was formed as an organization probably about four years ago and just over the last few months has officially become a 501c3 so awesome we are moving forward and and I'm excited to see what happens with the youth in Northeast Salem what that is it just gives kids a chance to get free basketball training which is important there because of the low economics that they see in Mm -hmm. their families so I'm excited with the progress of that Uh, other than that you know I'm I'm releasing an ebook here in the coming weeks it's just a collection of thoughts and ideas that I've had on leadership and goal setting, physical wellness, mental resiliency. So I'm excited to put that out. And uh, I'm also teaching PE at Richmond. So as you can see, Bill's is always busy. <laughs> always busy. And one of the things that I think is, is really important for everybody to understand, and I think when, when you first started the Salem Hoops Projects, either you, you mentioned it to me or you tweeted it out, talked about it in your blog. You've always been a guy that's very active writing. Uh, was, was the concept that you shouldn't have to be rich to get better at basketball. Yeah, definitely. I think you know, every kid deserves the opportunity to train for a sport they want, or at least the opportunity to play that sport. And at the time, I was working at Shoot360, which is kind of the opposite. It was you know, obviously a for-profit business mm-hmm. that catered to areas that had very affluent people. So just seeing that contrast with the kids that I see at McKay, just knowing that they grow up 
not necessarily having those opportunities. So trying to find a way to do that and no better way to do an opportunity than actually provide it. So that was kind of the background with that. Absolutely. And want to dive into a little bit about the, the, the process of the Salem Hoops Project, which, you know, you're obviously you're given clinics, um, location, resources, volunteers. How have you put together this training program, so to speak, for these kids, like you mentioned, that don't have access to the coaching up app and can't afford the hourly rate of a lot of trainers that are charged in these days? Yeah, it's actually been a really cool process and it's come together kind of how uh, I had envisioned from the start. So what happens is you know, we have our free clinics and they're all built on skill stations. So we mix them up as the weeks go on, but a lot of times they're consistent too so the kids can have a chance to improve at certain things. Mm -hmm. But really what happens is you know, the kids I coach in McKay who come work out with me, they now get the chance to teach the younger kids those skills. Awesome. So it's kind of, it comes full circle from, mm -hmm. from me to them down to the younger kids. And the you know, long-term goal is that those kids can grow up, play for McKay or North Salem High School, and mm -hmm. now they come teach teach young kids at the clinics too. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cross, hopefully, a generational situation exactly. where that yeah. becomes a, it's an awesome thing. I know my, my two oldest, Lincoln and Leah, have been able to do a, one of the evening nights. Uh, and the thing I thought was awesome that I noticed there, and you can probably talk a little bit more, is some of the other staff, aside from getting your kids to their current players, uh, Jordan Carter, who I taught at McKay, and you obviously have a very close relationship mm -hmm. with, successful college basketball player. Other, other kids that I remember when they were in high school, yeah. now they're coming back. Talk a little bit about your staff makeup, aside from just your team definitely so as far as the business goes you know my dad myself and then Jordan Carter as you mentioned we're all three kind of I guess you could say we're on paper as owning the business I mm -hmm. guess so uh, you know Jordan's been a longtime friend he trained with me going up growing up and he's probably been one of the most closest people to me as far as just long-term day-to-day type of stuff so you know relationships come and go people move people come back that type of thing He's probably been the most constant as far as you know a basketball relationship I've had, and then my dad has just been so supportive in you know, everything I do. He comes to bring Gatorade to the yeah, kids well, at the clinics. So, he's marketing too, boy. He's well, out he, there. He will market. That's his thing. <laughs> he does a good job of that. Absolutely. So, but other than that, you know, the assistant coaches help when they can. But really, we like to have the players. Uh, you know, it gives them a leadership opportunity mm -hmm. that they don't otherwise get. Mm -hmm. And we love to have alumni come back too. And I get, you know, people telling me all the time when they come back from summer break or Christmas break, is there any clinics I can help at? Mm -hmm. Because that's something they look forward to. No, and it's, it's, it's a great thing. Actually, over the over the winter break this past year, we were able to take our Pro Hoop Camp, Nose of Salem Hoops Project, Cascade Sports Camp, which is also in Oregon, uh, and been put on a pretty big clinic here on, on a holiday break before Christmas. Uh, and it was awesome to see all, all the youth with the game uh, connected. And once again, another free environment. But like you mentioned, I couldn't agree more. Uh, the access to just people playing basketball, access to, like you mentioned, a kid that I can look up to as a nine-year-old who's playing for McKay High School. Mm -hmm. they, he's teaching me how to play the game. That, that's that's, in, that's uh, in, incentive for me to stay mm -hmm. with it and showing me a path that, that is actually doable. Uh, moving on, Noza, and I, I, the podcast itself, you know, we, we talked a little bit before, across the streams, and, and Kane and I have always wanted to get you know, kind of testimonials from people. And obviously this, you know, you mentioned it's a 501C now. Mm -hmm. um, it, that's a big risk, you know, yeah. jumping out in, into that. Talk to us about kind of your thought process. What was your kind of cross the streams moment? And I'm sure a lot of people told you awesome. A lot of people said, are you sure you want to do yeah. something like this? Go ahead and go back into the history of, of your, your professional cross the streams moment. Well, you know, that all happened at a time when I was really going through a personal and a professional kind of spiritual transformation. So I was starting to realize that if I'm going to profess certain beliefs in my life, I have to be able to live them out too. So originally when I had quit working in the school district and started training, I was all about get money, 
get mm-hmm. notoriety as being the best, have other people see me as the best, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So it ended up getting me a spot at Shoot360, and I still was kind of in that mold of, okay, now I'm up in Portland. I can expand my reach. This is awesome. I can make more money. Mm-hmm. And just over the next few months, I realized, you know, money is not the most important thing to me. Yeah. Um, being known as a great trainer is not the most important thing to me. And the transformation was just that, you know, I wanted to serve the kids that I was with. I wanted to be the best coach for them. And I shouldn't see my career as getting to the next step. Mm-hmm. I just see my career as helping others get to the next step. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the transformation I went through. And it took some guts just because, obviously, you're not making any money doing right. a free clinic. And I don't really have any short-term goals of getting paid to do those clinics. But I think the thing that most people looked at me and said was, how are you going to make a living? It's like, well, I can make a living working a job. Mm -hmm. I can still do the free clinics. Mm -hmm. And if eventually it becomes something that I can make money, you know, a salary off of doing and still provide the free service, I'll do it. But right now it's just about providing opportunities for kids, Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not I get paid or not. And and one of the things, full full disclosure, a lot of my players have utilized NOZA. You know, one one of the reasons I have him at camp every year is he's damn good at training. Uh, so when he talks about being the best, you were on your way to that. Uh, but I think it's awesome. One of, the, one of the slogans I've loved from you is a hashtag lift as you climb. Yeah. Talk about how you came up with that because I've stolen it from you. Folks. Another <laughs> full disclosure, I use it a ton in our coach state work because I love it. But go ahead, talk, talk about your, your, your lift as you climb. So lift as you climb, you know, I, kind of, I heard somebody say it once. Uh, I was doing a study on stewardship and I heard somebody say it. And basically what lift as you climb has meant to me was as I'm doing all this stuff to improve myself, you know, to grow myself as a coach, as a husband, you know, as a teacher, whatever it is, mm-hmm. if I'm not helping other people do the same thing, I'm not only going to limit their growth, I'm going to limit mine too. So in order for all of us to be able to grow and reach our maximum potential, we have to be willing to help carry others with us as well. Mm-hmm. So Lift As You Climb is really uh, the leadership model, but it's a teamwork model as well. So not only are you doing what you got to do as a coach of Willamette, to make yourself the best coach, but if you're not doing that for your staff, if you're not doing that for your players, then not only will you not be the coach you can be, but your program's not gonna get where it can be. No, and I I love that mindset, because as you mentioned, it's applicable to anything, no Mm -hmm. matter who you are, where you are, and that's why I appreciate you coming on the podcast today, because that's exactly what Kane and I envisioned with this, is different ideas. If maybe somebody takes from our 15-minute discussion, they all they remember is lift as you climb. We did something, (laughs) right? Uh, Personally, man, how's this been? I know you you, you and your wife have been married. You know, it's not newlyweds necessarily, but you're not in that 14 to 15-year range either. So how's it been for you guys with the grind? You know, when you told her, you know what, I'm going to do a non I run a nonprofit. I don't get paid yet so just talk just a little personally you know the the grind and, and the partnership it kind of takes to do what you're doing well anytime that you step into a coach's world it's it's not what you really expect if you're not from that world so yeah you know you know the amount of time it takes in season and then also out of season yeah you know if you want to do a good job with your program mm-hmm. so uh, I think originally it was a little rough for her Mm-hmm. when she realized practice was, you know, practicing games took six days a week. <laughs> right. And then on that seventh day, I'm probably still thinking about things. Yeah. And, you know, and, and then the off season came and I said, hey, I still got to go to workouts these days. And she's like, wait, season's over. Yeah. Yeah. So well, here I am. But, yeah. you know, she knew what I did and she knew I did the uh, nonprofit for kids and she was uh, on board with that. Mm-hmm. But there's always an adjustment when you actually have to step into that world. But yep. I think she sees that, you know, it's a mission for me. It's not just like me trying to make money. Right. It's something that I, it's the way I, I 
you know, give back to the community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think she's become a little more accepting to it as far as the amount of time it takes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key to all of us out there. mm -hmm. If you don't have somebody in your corner, and if you don't have an open communication, and obviously you're a guy that has a lot of different avenues of communication, Mm -hmm. and I I know my wife, despite being with me for almost 15 years now, same concept. If we don't have, well, we set times now, like you would with a player. We are going to meet and discuss (laughs) exactly what it is on your calendar this week. You have a few kids in your pocket, too. Yeah, we got a minivan full of them but We're not there uh, yet so that's <laughs> what how, how can people follow you knows what where can they find out more i know you got writings going on your ebook give us more your social media follow where can people find more about you because i'm sure once the podcast gets out there are going to be questions people wanting to help people want to just dive into you and, and what you're doing yeah so you can go to salemhootsproject.org that's the website it has everything on there um the ebook will be on there shortly as soon as it's finished and as far as social goes you know instagram salem hoops project uh, Twitter, SLM Hoops Project, and then Facebook, of course, uh, Salem Hoops Project as well. So uh, I'm on I'm on those three. I don't really do much personally. Mostly it's geared towards the organization. Um, you know, when clinics are, mm-hmm. highlights from the clinics. And then, you know, if we're not doing clinics for a while, like this summer, we'll do a workout Wednesday. Every Wednesday, drop in a drill or a progression of drills mm-hmm. that, that players can do at home. And, and one of the things I really like about Noza is when he and I are getting ready for camp stuff, we're always thinking about new ways to do things. You know, we don't want our Pro Hoop Camp experience or his Salem Hoops Project workouts or the clinics to be the same thing. We're always looking at the, at the next level of evolution in training and agility. And I mean, I, there was a year you brought ladders to camp for nine-year-olds and they freaking loved it. Mm-hmm. So I, I couldn't highly, I, he comes highly recommended and obviously we're very supportive uh, of his mission. I love how he's called it that because it is, it's not just a job. Um, and I really have always respected his commitment to his passions and his beliefs and his giving back because it's somebody that taught in that, in that area of the school district here in Salem, Oregon uh, for seven years. I know the quality of kids over there. They're great kids, eager for a lot of stuff. And the more, more people like Nozel that are willing to go over there and put in the time and giving them avenues to success, the more they're going to shine. So make sure you follow him uh, on what he mentioned. We'll, we'll put up on our site, our sites too. You can see us retweeting, especially during July when we're in the Cone Fieldhouse and Hankel Gymnasium with Matt Espinosa, Salem Hoops Project. Thanks for coming on, man. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. All right, back after that Matt Espinosa from the Salem Hoops Project interview. Uh, reaction time. Kenny and I always like to make sure after we bring a guest on and let you listen to our question and answer segment with them that we give our thoughts on the best takeaways and the things that really stood out to us uh, and hopefully gets you thinking more about the interview and the person we brought on. So this this trip obviously was Matt Espinosa, a coaching friend of mine that I've known since he was a player uh, and has been always, always a guy that does a lot of things for basketball in the Salem community. It's from Kaiser, which is right next door to Salem. Um, and, you know, the thing that, that stood out to me early on, Kane, was all he's talking about an ebook. He's talking about uh, the, the, the nonprofit hoops organization he runs. He's still a high school basketball coach. Uh, he's obviously married. I mean, the man's got his hands in, in a lot of jars doing a lot yeah. of things. Yeah. To, to say that he is multitasking would even be an understatement. Uh, I mean, that's the thing that really stood out to me was his ability to take advantage of the time that he has in his day. Yeah, and I think exactly. that's one thing that that all of us could learn from or take from this is, hey, you got everyone's got 24 hours in their day. Yep. And how you use those 24 hours is your decision. It's up to you. And yep. every morning you have that decision when your alarm clock goes off. All right, I'm going to get up and here's what I'm going to get done in this day. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us, a lot of us push, push snooze on that alarm clock right off the jump two or three different times, get an extra however many minutes of sleep. And then we get up, we turn our TV on, or we, or we uh, 
you know, turn the radio on or whatever. And, and we essentially make choices throughout your day yeah, on how we, how we use those hours. Yep. And Matt is a tremendous example of taking full advantage of your 24 hours. And don't forget, he's also a PE teacher, elementary school level, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> I mean, that that in itself, yeah. Uh, I think every elementary school teacher, kindergarten school teacher deserves an award every year for yep. putting up with that stuff. I'll tell you that going through <laughs> just doing little guy football camps and having to deal with elementary age kids and, and yep. kindergarten age kids. It's a challenge, and I applaud everyone that does it on a regular basis. <laughs> hey, you know, another thing that I thought was interesting, and, and you might find some of this on, on the football end and maybe a, a different way, but similar mm -hmm. barriers to entry to being good at a sport. And then I think what Matt and I have always mm -hmm. tried to yeah. talk about, and he's taken to another level uh, with his commitment, is that you shouldn't have to have a lot of money or, or come from a really – well-off family to be able to get access to training at basketball or, you know, in your case, football it could be soccer, but today's day and age of specialization and, and people diving into, Hey, I'm going to buy a trainer for $25 an hour. And if you can't afford that, you're going to get left behind. You know, I, I really commend him for putting on literally free clinics where everything in that gym is out of his dime to help kids because he is a hell of a trainer himself. So giving them free access to him uh, is something that is pretty important. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I, I agree with you hundred percent where the, there is so many people out there and there's, there's good ones yeah. uh, that are out there doing it for the right reason. Uh, like coach Espinosa doing it yep. for the right reason for the kids trying to make an impact. Um, and, and there's other ones out there that are strictly doing it for the money. To mm -hmm. make it to make the the cash off the kids and and uh, take full advantage of these affluent families that are more than willing to pay an absurd amount of money for whoever it is to train their son in the hopes that it's going to get them a scholarship and the yep. hopes that it's going to get them to that uh, they're going to be that one percent that make it all the way to the professional level of whatever sport yeah. that they choose and I love uh, what Matt's doing as far as opening the doors or as you're saying breaking down the barriers or open the gates for, for kids that don't have the money or mm -hmm. the opportunity to do that on a regular basis. Yep. And, and to me, it's great for the sports. It's great yep. for basketball. Um, it's great for football. If it was someone would, were to do this same type of project for football, it's mm -hmm. great for any sport out there where you're, you're essentially giving these free clinics and saying, Hey, I love this sport. Come love this sport with me. Let me show you what this sport's all about, what it can do for you for, and your children. Uh, I think it's awesome. Yeah. What about the part? And I thought this kind of spoke to, and you and I have discussed this a lot because as coaches, we all have egos. I mean, let's not, let's not kid ourselves. We all want to be no, the best. No way. No, there's no <laughs> egos in this, in coaching. What we're are you talking in, about? Right. We're coming into the business and we're trying to win championships and be the most famous coach there is. And he talked about that where he said his original mindset as a trainer was get notoriety, get money, be the best trainer in the state, be the best trainer in the, in the West Coast, et cetera. And then he changed, you know, whatever that moment was for him. And he's always been a very deep, passionate person. Uh, mm -hmm. His mindset transformation to serving those that need me. Uh, mm -hmm. that, was pretty, that was pretty impactful to me. Uh, I love it. I absolutely love that. Um, and I think Matt's on the same page where by serving uh, and uh, through this practice that he's doing, and essentially, he's getting everything that he wants out of it as well. The intrinsic mm -hmm. rewards are so much more 
than the extrinsic rewards, which I think is awesome. And I wish uh, that every coach out there had that same mentality where you're in it, um, not for your own glory or your own ego, like you're saying, you're in it for the right reasons. Uh, Did did it strike with you when he said it's a mission for me? That that mm -hmm. was, was, it wasn't a job. Yes, exactly. I love that. And and I, I love anyone. I think, to be successful, you've got to be able to sit down and write down your mission. I think mm-hmm. you've got to be able to vocalize or verbalize your mission statement to people. What is yep. your mission in life? And if yep. I don't think, if I think if you don't have that in your own mind, whether you write it down or whether you um, just have it in your in thoughts in your mind and be able to vocalize that to somebody else, mm-hmm. I think you're, you're basically drifting through life. Yep, no, that's very my true. opinion. Yeah, um, and I think Matt's a, a great example of someone that has a mission knows what that mission is, and is every day working towards that mission statement. Mm-hmm. There, there was a hashtag in there that, that you heard that obviously I, I talked about in the interview with him that I've stolen, uh, the mm-hmm. lift as you climb. In, in that, that's pretty oh, powerful. Love Absolutely love that. That was one of my favorite parts of the interview was listening to that, and I'm going to steal it as well and, and use that mm-hmm. um, as far as in my coaching. Lift as you climb, where as you're climbing the ladder of, to, of success – you're not just climbing it by yourself. You're lifting others with you. And if you're not doing that, what are you doing? Yep. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, what are like, you really trying to do here? What are yeah. you really doing? Absolutely. What's your point? Again, what's, what's the point of your life if at the end of the day, you're at the top of the mountain, there's no one with you? How yeah. fun is that? Not. <laughs> it's not at all. Absolutely. Just think about that. You get to the top of a mountain, you climb Mount Everest, and you're up there by yourself. What the, how do you enjoy that? You yeah. can't. You want That's someone a there with analogy. you. The mountain someone there with you like, to be able to yeah. step on your face on my way up the cliff and <laughs> fell down. Right? Yeah, exactly. Sorry but I about think that, that permeates. Doesn't that permeate? You know, not, oh, I'm not saying everybody we know, but the culture of coaching is how fast can I move up? And that's probably business too. It's probably in a lot of industry. Yep. I'm going to get it's me against you. And as soon as I get the corner office, to hell with anybody or what? How I had to get here. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you're right. Um, yeah, anything else from you? Or oh, well, one more thing I had was I, it's really cool to go to those clinics. And, and like I mentioned in it, Lincoln and Leah, my oldest two have been to them uh, to see his dad there grinding with him. And I think kind of yeah. like you and I doing this, where we actually get to work together on the project. I think yep. that's similar for Noza and Pops, where they get to do some. His dad's an author, so the marketing and the social media and the mm-hmm. and the talking about what Matt's doing is very natural for him. I, I thought that was pretty special for him to be able to do it with his dad. I agree. I think that anytime you can work with your family uh, in a project that you all are, are enjoying and loving and there's a passion, you have that passion for it, uh, I think it's awesome. Um, and like you said, I think what we're doing and, and the project we got going uh, to be able to do that with family, I think it just makes it that much better. Absolutely. So if you if you didn't get a chance, go back through in the podcast, just take the cursor back about 12 minutes. Um, Matt Espinoza, high school coach here in Salem, PE teacher here in Salem, but probably more importantly, founder, co-owner of the Salem Hoops Project, putting at you at risk youth, impoverished youth through free skill station clinics and camps, um, getting kids access to the game of basketball, regardless of the amount of money they have in their wallet. Our reaction segment. Thanks. 
Alright, it's time for Wild Card Round, and as always, Wild Card Round is just stuff that Kane and I want to bring to the broadcast for us to discuss, um, and it's kind of one of those things that if we still live together in, in the house on 1317 Bitterroot Drive in Billings, Montana, we know this would come up in our in our day-to-day exchange, but since we're, we're a state apart now rather than a time zone apart, this is a good time for us to bring up stuff that could be something we saw on TV, could be something we read, could be something we heard, could be a YouTube clip that's going viral. Uh, Wild Card brings us into something that's caught our attention we want to discuss together and hopefully we'll catch your attention too and today boy i, I maybe i'm just bringing down the mood a little bit but <laughs> the, right i sh- i found this article and i shared I, you know what i like to do to our family and our cousins listen out there and um, our parents and our wives and our and all of our close people can know i love to share terrible things via text like you gotta read this <laughs> it's horrible yeah you know <laughs> and, and, uh, i i would Put that right up there with our mom, Rhonda, who likes to do the yeah. same exact thing. Where <laughs> it might be passed out of down. nowhere. Out of nowhere, let's let's just start talking about the worst news of the day. <laughs> whatever that news may be, whether it's right. you know, family loss or, or somebody's yep. sick or something's going on. Somehow that's brought up out of nowhere. Yes. And, uh, this no article, warning. Just- this article and, and this wild car round it was very similar to that. I would agree yes, with and I and Kelly, my wife, asked me today, "Where did you find this?" And if if we haven't said it yet, it's an article in New York Magazine called "The Uninhabitable Earth." Uh, let me give you the byline: famine, economic collapse, and a sun that cooks us. What, cli- <laughs> what climate change could wreak sooner than you think? And this is not by any means. I am not a climate change skeptic. I wholeheartedly believe in it. But I think this article took the step forward and Kane, you can talk about your initial reaction to, Hey, listen, stop projecting this doomsday 100, 200 years from now. This is next <laughs> decade. And that's where I couldn't sleep after reading it. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I thought the first part of the article touched on in a little bit, kind of caught my attention a little bit when it taught, when it brought up um, the, however many days of uh, a string of 60, 70 degrees warmer, uh, this past winter than normal that baked the North Pole, melting yep. permafrost that encased Norway's Svalbard seed vault, whatever. I kind of skipped I'm through glad that. You, I'm glad and, you took a stab at that word because I didn't yeah, know it was Svalbard. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, it's they, they nicknamed this thing, that this global food bank, they nicknamed Doomsday, right? Yeah. And I love how, it, how the author of the article was like, you know, forget the whole doomsday thing. That is what it is. That The doomsday bank or food bank is fine, but just listen to what I just told you. Apparently. Yeah. Permafrost. I mean, I think the concept okay? of permafrost is like... Permafrost. It, yeah. We're, we're talking about permafrost, which <laughs> the word itself, perma, permanent. Permanent <laughs> frost melted right. away due to these 60, 70 degrees warmer over a string of however many days, 60 days. Uh, right. That in itself was like, yeah, wow, that, that's that's alarming, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Bec- and I, and like you mentioned, the author, David Wallace Wells, I think he, he brought up something that really struck me on that same stretch of that first doomsday part where he said scientists that have been arguing for people, us, to start mm-hmm. paying attention more to climate change have probably erred on the side of staying loyal to their scientific rules of, hey, yes. we, can't, we can't go over the top and give them worst case scenarios. But he's like... <laughs> The, the actual facts are horrific. They're not making, this isn't a movie where Jake Gyllenhaal and Dennis Quaid survive. Yeah. This is like, you're not going to be able to go outside without melting. I mean, and it's <laughs> I, just. I, 
Yeah, exactly. I, I had that written down. I had that in quotes. The, I think he called it or referred to it as the scientific reticence or yeah. essentially uh, failure to communicate how dire the threat really is. Yep. Um, and it's funny because we all have seen these doomsday movies. We all have seen, enjoyed uh, all these cinematic moments where yep. it's meant to entertain you, but in reality, these are things that potentially are going, or not potentially will happen, are going to happen. Yeah, and that's the scary part is the the part that he where he's brought up to me, Stephen Hawking, Elon Musk, obviously is people that are much smarter than us and a lot smarter than a lot of scientists there that are their contemporaries are basically saying, yo, we have to leave. <laughs> there, there's not really an option here. I mean, just and if you read yeah. the article once again, we're, we're discussing here in Wildcard the uninhabitable Earth, which you can find uh, online, NewYorkMag.com. Uh, it's by David Wallace Wells, and it gives you what is it four or five different segments of why climate change will literally affect you, like you and I in our thirties. Yes. This will hit us when we're sixty. This isn't like yeah. later on in Lincoln and Leah yeah. and Xavier, my kids can deal with it. This is this yeah. will hit us. I thought the end of the food was a like an unbelievable category called the end of the food praying yes. for cornfields in the tundra. <laughs> what? Well, I mean every chapter of the of this article uh so you got the first article or first chapter essentially doomsday. Second chapter heat death. Third chapter <laughs> the end of food. Fourth climate plagues. That one scared the hell out oh, of me. Oh That's the one where they melt, <laughs> the right? Melting, and the virus the of the ice releases these viruses or plagues that have been frozen for millions of years that yeah. we have no immune system built up for. Obviously, that just oh. all now are, are released. And obviously, you know, it went on to say later in the in the yeah. chapter or the paragraph that their scientists believe that it's still hard for these viruses to just come out of this frozen state and be active and, and go right to just yeah. millions of people. But the idea right. that there are these viruses that are frozen in time, essentially in these, these large icebergs that are melting away, that mm -hmm. that's scary. Oh, that is and scary. He, remember he talked about in there too, the current diseases we do have Zika and malaria with climate change. Part of the reason we've been able to keep as Americans, some of those tropical quote unquote tropical. That's the first time I've done quote unquote with air quotes. <laughs> and I, I'll try not to do that anymore. Yeah, remember, remember uh, this is a podcast. No one can see yes. the air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the, the fact that those have jumped oceans and jumped through previous invisible borders because it's warmer now in places where it used to be cold <laughs> enough to kill it. Exactly. Yeah. That, it, this, look at this, which is one reason the World Bank estimates that by 2050, 5.2 billion people will be reckoning with malaria. I don't want to <laughs> reckon with malaria in 2050. No. I, don't, I don't think I'll be in good shape. No, I hate mosquitoes as is let alone yes. worrying about if that mosquito that just bit me gave me malaria. I'd rather yeah. not have that problem. Um, oh, it, it's, 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 so we, that's the climate plagues at, at yep. chapter four. Chapter five goes on to talk about unbreathable air, essentially oh. a smog of just a cloud of unbreathable air taking over. You know, it, and instantly, as I was reading it, I thought of the uh, movie The NeverEnding Story. Oh, right? yes. Classic 1980s yes. NeverEnding Story were the nothingness. Yes, the nothing, was, the nothing. The nothing that was just enveloping the whole world or engulfing this whole world. Uh -huh. and, and there's no stopping it, it, even if you're a rock man. That, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's what <laughs> I had envisioned in my mind all of a sudden. That's the visual that popped yeah. in my head was the nothing yep. that was eating up the world. Here's this big yeah. cloud of unbreathable air, the nothing. 
Um, right. What if, and and then, on that same line of that unbreathable air, what about the quote? And I read this to my wife, and she looked at me for a second like I was crazy. <laughs> it says, it takes yeah. 16 calories of grain to produce just a single calorie of hamburger meat. Mm-hmm. Butchered from a cow, and think about all the cows in the world, because I love hamburgers. Butchered yep. from a cow that spent its life polluting the climate with methane farts. Cows <laughs> are killing us with their farts, and it's uh, scientific fact. It's scientific oh. fact. How about that? That might Every, be a reason to eat a salad. I agree. There's a lot of people out there that are making that argument that <laughs> our yeah, obsession with eating right. meat uh, is it's killing a problem. slowly but surely not only our guts, but also just... Yeah. Uh, the air that apparently our food is polluting us with, with their methane oh. farts. That's it's unbelievable stuff. Um, what, was, what was the next one after the unbreathable? One, the, unbreathable air goes into perpetual war. Perpetual well, that's, war. That's, you know, that's a good day. That's a good day. Yeah, perpetual Jeez. war. I'm talking about how it, essentially the, uh, um, with this heat or this drought that that hits certain areas with. Um, uh, the burning of or just the fighting over oils and things of that nature. Uh, mm-hmm. Ultimately, and it talked about how just hot climates, <laughs> regions have a yep. propensity to fight more than colder regions, which makes total sense. No one it wants does. to go out in the cold and fight. Right. But another cinematic moment in my mind that popped in my head: the movie The Predator. Oh yes, in the right. jungle. In the it jungle, only happens they... in the hottest years. I wish I could <laughs> <Yes. had> accent. <laughs> exactly how it talks about how the predator seeks out these tropical regions and in, in hot climate areas uh, that have this perpetual fighting going on all the time. And here yep. we are. We're just promoting some predators to come down. And this is just yes. crazy, loony shit. I'm talking about now, though. But, it, but, but you're right. That's the stuff that just popped in my head. This perpetual yes. war. Because well, I know the, this, and you can probably speak to this too. Even regardless of you know the the cl- bad weather. Okay, let's let's take a break from heat rage. I live in Oregon, where there's tons of mm-hmm. rain. You're coming from Montana, where I don't think it stops snowing all year. Mm-hmm. But you you walk around, and I tell our freshman players on our team, listen, there's going to be a point about midseason where you're just pissed off, and you have no idea why. Mm-hmm. And I want you to just look at the weather and realize it rained yeah. for seven days straight. That's why you're in a bad. <laughs> That's mood. a great point. That's a great. So point. I completely understand that if it's mm-hmm. so hot, it's melting tires. You're probably <laughs> in a little bit of a more violent mood, and you yes. can't get any food because it's all dried up. I get it. Yes. I totally understand the argument. Yes. And you're gonna be pissed hard. off at, at the person, your neighbor next to you, that might be yep. enjoying yep. some kind of whatever meal that he has and you don't have. Guess what? Right. I'm gonna go try and take that from you. Exactly. Uh, Oh, so, I, I tell you what, it's uh, okay. What do we go after that? What do we go after the predator heat? Gets yeah, us? <laughs> perpetual war with predators. The next one is yep. permanent economic collapse, which is makes sense. About There's how, no food. Yeah. Everybody's hungry. What are you selling? McDonald's is out of business. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you that right now. Mm-hmm. And just the uh, the fact that climate change has affected the GDP um, a lot more than what is is let on. Uh, and vice versa, and, and interesting stuff in that in that chapter as yep. well. Uh, chapter eight is another great title: "Poisoned Oceans." Oh, that, oh, let me skip that. Bur- sulfide burps off the skeleton coast. That sounds like a vacation. <laughs> and and what's crazy is you read this, and it, this is not in the future. This there right. are point parts of the ocean, specifically Gulf of Mexico, is one area that it it pointed out that this is actually happening. Right now, 
that you can actually oh. go and, and try and ride your boat through or sail your boat through, and, yeah. and you're going to run into this spot of an actual poisoned ocean. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, and obviously, we want once again, we want to make sure we give credit here to David Wallace Wells from New York Magazine, The Uninhabitable Earth. But can you imagine what is the mindset when you have to ride? Because if this is, I mean, this is a what a 30 page article minimum, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 30, 40 pages when you're done, no matter what the medium you're looking at it is. And it is all end of the world truth. It's not like he's writing not a fiction story no. that he can escape back to, oh, everything's okay. He writes Unbreathable Air, Section 5, goes to dinner. How's his conversation that night? <laughs> Can't be great. Uh, that's the thing that... that because I he's looking that, at that, Perpetual that. War. The next day, to, I got to write Perpetual War, babe. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in a bad mood. And he's oh. going through this research page after research page, interview after combing through these interviews that he's done with all yes. these different uh, highly regarded scientists around the world right. that have all told him that essentially the same thing uh, of what's happening to our world. It, it's yeah. crazy. Um, I just, it's uh, it's an unbelievable eye-opening read. Uh, we'll, we'll try to put it up on both our Twitters later on at when we, after we air this episode on the mm -hmm. podcast, across the streams, uh, love your feedback on it. Obviously it's a must read. Like we, we're, we are by no means, I, I'm sorry for our joking tone, but that's absolutely the only way I can get through this because that, it's such a bleak picture that you literally couldn't write a movie with this because no. nobody would, oh, whatever. That's all going to happen at once. <laughs> no, no, it is. It absolutely <laughs> it is. is. Yeah, and it talks uh, about that. It talks about those scenes of the, you know, horrific hurricanes or, or the tornadoes that we saw in certain movies hitting L.A. and areas that tornadoes never strike and all of a sudden those becoming the norm and right. uh, no longer being natural disasters but actually just being called weather. Yeah, that's, that's just the, the day. weather that we live in. Uh, so it's we'll try not to let Wildcard be this bleak every time, but I tell you what, <laughs> this this is something you have to read, something you have to educate yourself about. Yeah. If it, nothing else, if it makes you recycle your Pepsi bottle, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the article was worth it. Because I'm not sure what yes. I, I, I'm looking forward to. Hopefully, David Wallace Wells is researching smart people's ideas to save us. Well, yeah, like that, to read that, but maybe that was that was there was some things in there that I felt was that you could take away as far as positive where. Uh, there was a lot of these scientists that he had interviewed and, and, and talked to who had ideas and thoughts on how uh, we will make this work, that we will we'll yeah. somehow find a way because of our just our human nature and our human uh, ingenuity and, and innovativeness. Is that a word? Um, I think it could be now. Yeah. It absolutely could be now. <laughs> our human innovation, <laughs> innovativeness, yep. sure. Innovation, yeah. but... Uh, to come up with different ways to help prevent these things and or help us survive these things. But either way, th there was a little right. bit of some positive spin in there. And, and I think, as always, you can make positive or make this thing to be a positive for you. Uh, yeah. Like you said, whether it makes you recycle that much more or just be conscientious of what's going on around you and right. the environment, maybe read a little bit more on yep. um, you know, the climate change and ways to help it. Maybe in this day and age, please retweet somebody warning about climate change dangers. Feel free to retweet them. Like it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe share the link. Exactly. All right. Wild card. That wraps up another wild card round.